When we Dominicans have a community meeting, we always, at least once a month, sit down and talk about our life and the business that affects our life. I always know when Father Justice is going to have a complaint. Because Father Justice will always preface it by saying, in Dominican life, we always allow the brothers to, to, to lodge their arguments or whatever, whatever disagreement they may have. And then we wait a few moments, and then he shares with us whatever is on his mind that month. So when I read something like in the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, the community of believers uh, was of one mind and heart, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, I believe that to be true because I believe the scriptures are true, but I know that even in our small community where we have very good community life and relationships, that even in that small community with men completely committed to the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ and living our life together, that oftentimes, rarely actually, rarely are we of one mind and one heart in everything. And as we look at our world, maybe our families, and we keep moving out, we see in our society perhaps the defining characteristic of our times, division. Left, right, this, that. We divide everything into these nice little things. Us, them. It's easy to do that. And we see, especially when there are controversies or difficulties, how quickly we move to our camp. Just on Good Friday, Reniero Cantalamesa, who is a cardinal in the church and has been the preacher of the papal household for nearly 40 years, preached, and it's a short homily, I would encourage you all to look up his Good Friday homily, preached a beautiful homily. And he remarks in his homily on Good Friday how there is division in the church. But far from it being something that's theological, it's what ends up happening in the world happens in the church. Our political and our ideological beliefs become gods. And so when we come to the church, we are already divided against ourselves. And so we all, he says, and, I, and he, he singles out the pastors, so I am first among those he calls out. We all must do an examination of conscience and ask ourselves, honestly ask ourselves, how am I responsible for the divisions in the world, on campus, in my friendships, in my family, and in my relationship with God. Because when Jesus comes, brothers and sisters, he comes and shows us his wounds. He does not need to come with his wounds. He, in his glorified body, is perfect. And yet he bears the marks of his death on his body. And he asks St. Thomas to touch those marks. Because it is through his wounds that we are saved, and so too it is for you and for me. But so long as I don't recognize that I am the biggest problem in the church, that I have struggles and difficulties, so long as other people's problems are the bigger problems, division will reign and wreak havoc on our lives, on our church, on our world. The reality of our lives, and this is an extreme example and I use it on purpose, is that we are just a few bad choices away from becoming the next Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or one of the great terrible people of history. This is the reality of how sin corrupts us, how it changes us, how it warps us, how it hurts us, and not only us, but the world. But we're even closer to the good news of Jesus Christ because God is chasing us down. 
God is coming to us if we but recognize our need and call out to Him. He's already there. He's already offering us His very self. And so we need to recognize our brokenness. We need to recognize the areas where we are weak, and we need to bring those to the Lord. We need to be open to that. We need to bring those things to the Lord in prayer, but also in the church. This is the beauty of St. Thomas. Imagine, if you will, your best friends told you that your beloved teacher, the one who you had given your whole life to following after, had risen from the dead. I would have walked away from that group of friends. And I think many of us would too. We give Thomas this nickname, oh, Doubting Thomas. Thomas is being perfectly rational here. Jesus is risen from the dead. Uh, that's not possible. I won't gonna, I'm not going to believe that until I see that. That is the reasonable response to the miracle of the Lord's resurrection. And yet, what does Thomas do? He doesn't run away. He doesn't flee. He comes back to the church. He comes back to his brothers. And who is there but the Lord himself? And so it's easy for us when there are challenges in the church, when we're asked to believe things that are hard to believe, when we're asked to deny ourselves in ways that the world is not denying itself, when our friends are not denying themselves, it's difficult. And we can walk away. We can go our own way. But if we come with sincere hearts into the church, the Lord comes to us. And he doesn't say to us, put your hands into my finger or into the nail marks in my uh, finger or in my hands and your hands into my side. He says, this is my body. This is my blood. He says, I absolve you of your sins. But not only must we come to the church, we can't just do this as some sort of rote machination we do every Sunday. We need to change our lives and our hearts. As St. John reminds us in the, first letter, in the second reading from his first letter, to know and to love God is to follow his commandments. And God doesn't come into this world to teach us to burden us, but to free us. And when we start to see the commandments of God, the teachings of his church, not as things that are there to hurt us or to impose us, but things that are there to free us. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I no longer call you servants, but friends. He says in the gospel, peace be with you. Jesus has come to liberate, to free from the oppression of this world, but also from the coercion and the reign of sin in our lives. But we must choose to follow his commandments. And this is very difficult. This past weekend, I just got back a couple hours ago, I was visiting my family in St. Louis. I baptized my new nephew and my new niece. It was great. But I was a little tired on Saturday afternoon. My mom asked me to do something, and I was not very pleasant to her. I'll admit that in my sinfulness. And I was frustrated. Initially, I'm like, oh, she's got to be the one to apologize. She was in the wrong. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing this is the slavery of sin. Just that one little slip of the tongue and being tired. And now I'm allowing myself to be corrupted and twisted and turned. And I'd, you know, I went and apologized. I'd like to say I've, I've grown from that. Who knows? But we can see how easily we fall into that. But this is the beauty then, even when we fail God's commandments. And this is what we celebrate today in Divine Mercy Sunday, that the Lord has mercy on us. This is the beauty of God's mercy. 
Imagine, I'm going to use a, a thought experiment. Imagine you're in a relationship, and that person does the worst possible thing that that person can do to you in the relationship. Whatever you think that could possibly be. And this is how God responds. This is what his mercy is like. He doesn't say, get out of my life. He says, I'm going to love you more because you did that to me. That is the radicalness of God's mercy. That God comes into this world not because we are perfect, but because we are desperately in need of his love. And he says, you are broken in all of these ways, but guess what? I'm going to love you even more. And just as the world was healed through my wounds, so too you will be healed through your wounds. Those areas that you don't want to discuss, those sins that you don't think are wicked or evil, when you bring them to Jesus, when you ask for forgiveness, he loves us perfectly in that and heals us. In a way, our bodies are like his body. The marks are still there, but instead of being marks of our brokenness, they are marks now of his glory because they have been healed and we have been redeemed. We must then therefore always seek God's mercy, especially in confession. But here's how we're going to save the world. Here's how we're going to unite the world. Each one of us is going to commit to being God's mercy in the world. Yes, we should justice and all of that demands that there's, you know, if someone does a crime, they should be in some way, shape, or form punished for that. That's not a bad thing. But we must, in our relationships and our friendships, extend the gift of mercy given to us to others, to walk with others, to meet them, to love them in radical ways. The same problems that mark the church, that mark our hearts, that mark the world, marked the church of the apostles. But because every one of them was committed to that encounter with Jesus, to following his commandments, and to the radical mercy both of asking for it and giving it, they were of one mind and one heart. Diabolos in Greek, the Greek word for the devil, means the divider. The evil one, the devil, divides. Christ unifies. And it starts in our hearts with the mercy we receive from him in confession. And it starts in our world by giving that mercy to those who have hurt us. And so we ask the Lord for his strength to come to us in the same way he came to St. Thomas. So that we might bend down on our knees and say, my Lord and my God, receive him body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Receive his absolution and confession. And take that mercy and that unity to a world that needs it, to our friends and family who will benefit immensely from it as well.